When Cherie Burton was 25, she got pregnant and was abandoned by the father. Her decision to give her baby daughter up for adoption was accompanied by all the birth mother grief, stigma, shame, and judgment that often accompanies an unwed mother and, quote, giving a baby away. She showed up on the adoptive parent's doorstep when her daughter was just three weeks old, and Wendy's new family let Cherie wake her up and rock her back to sleep. Cherie is here today to walk us through her story of the decision of choosing adoption, the path of the toll that that takes on the heart and the mind, and the things she's learned from that experience. The adoption was an open adoption, and the adoptive family has always been open with Wendy about her birth mom. Cherie says, quote, I learned we do not own each other. Parents merely have stewardship, and our souls are on loan from the divine. We're just all here to teach each other love, sacrifice, forgiveness, kindness, and compassion. I'm pretty convinced Wendy, her mom Susan, and I had soul contracts with each other to have this experience before we came here, unquote. Wendy, who is also with us today, says because of the open adoption, she has always known how she came to be with her family, and her adoptive parents have always been supportive. She acknowledges that it does have a unique set of issues, but knowing her genetics has helped her deal with PPD and PPA after having her first child because she knew that mental illness ran in her genes and she was able to seek help from her birth mother to get through some tough spots. She says her birth mom is like an aunt or a best friend, and they talk often and are so much alike. Stay tuned as we get both sides of the story on adoption. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Cherie Burton, the birth mother, has degrees in psychology and sociology and has worked as a group counselor at a psychiatric hospital, an addiction recovery center, and a behavioral facility for teen boys. She has stepped away recently from clinical work to inspire women worldwide to reach their full potential through books, workshops, and retreats. Her work as an author, podcaster, international business owner, speaker, mom of six, emotional release facilitator, and leadership development trainer has helped thousands of women magnify their gifts and find wholeness. Wendy, the adopted child, is now married to her husband, Larkin. They've been married for seven years, and she is currently pregnant with their second child. She is a master esthetician specializing in laser hair removal, but mainly stays home with her best friend, a wild two-year-old boy named Tucker. During this season of her life, she is focused on nurturing babies in a healthy and happy home. Welcome, both of you, to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. You trying to get me to cry before we even start? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happens, happens. (laughs) So first things first, let's start at the beginning of the story. We And the beginning starts with Cherie, of course, the birth mother. Can you tell us your story and how you decided to embark on adoption as a 25-year-old, one year away from graduating from college? Where were you at that time mentally, physically, and what was that experience like? Well, that's 
really multi-layered. I've always been a very ambitious person. I've always known that I wanted to get degrees and travel and kind of have it all. And the very forefront of my goals was to be a mom. So I was always like, how am I going to use my degree and be a mom? Like I, I wanted to have the Brady Bunch. I literally wanted six kids like my mom. I wanted three boys and three girls. I met Dave when I was, I had just, so I served in a mission for the LDS church. I came home, I went to Brigham Young University, and I decided to take some time off to rethink my major, but I knew it would be in the counseling field. So I took a job as a living counselor at a living boys facility. So for boys who were sort of wayward or having high risk behaviors and different things. And that's where I met Dave. And we just totally hit it off. He was divorced and had two children. He's about four years older than I was. And it was like combustion because <laughs> he was very charismatic and very interested in me. But yet I knew that kind of dating him would be like dating the bad boy a little bit just because he was very, he was one of those guys that was just hard to commit and pin down. And all the boys loved him. He was the favorite counselor at the boys ranch. Yeah. So he pursued me and we started today and I told myself I didn't want to get too attached to him, but I did. And looking back, it was just a grand setup. I, when you mentioned soul contracts, that's totally what it was because as I've matured through life, I used to look at that whole experience as a wash of mistakes, just a total cascade of me screwing up right and left. But now I look at it as divine. And as much as the whole thing hurt, you know, because from the beginning, he really was hard to be in a relationship with. But also, and Wendy knows this, there was a time when I literally had a spiritual impression that we would have a child together. And, yeah. and then I just quickly dismissed it. Like, no, well, that's weird. No. So interesting about this. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's good. I was telling somebody there's a couple aspects of my life story and one in particular that, you know, it was it was a really hard space for me. But one day I was telling my boyfriend about it and getting in, you know, just sharing a little more detail. He, he knew about the space, but I was sharing more of the detail. And he just looks at me, he goes, that was the perfect storm just waiting to happen. Yeah. And I thought, sometimes the places where we feel like we've made the biggest mistakes or that we really screwed up or you know did something wrong, it's almost like it was destined to be that way because so many things fell into place and just were there for it to happen. Almost like it needed to happen for either us or somebody else to learn whatever it was that we needed to learn along our path. And that's a fascinating idea. Totally. Yeah. So I have a whole different way now of looking at choices that people make and like it is not so black and white. <laughs> and sometimes the most messy life experiences, I know you know this because of what you do as a podcaster, having people share their stories, is that presumably the, the messiest, most dysfunctional things turn into, it's kind of that beauty for ashes thing. You know, I didn't really have that mindset back then. I was all about like, I'm either like really righteous or really evil. Like I didn't really have a middle ground for myself. And he just seemed to trigger all of my issues. Like with, you know, every girl has daddy issues. So he triggered all that. And then like all my spiritual stuff, he was triggering that. And Finally, I decided I was going to break up with him. Well, we had, I had planned to go to my sister's wedding in California, and I was living in Utah at the time. And on the plane right over, I decided I was just going to break up with him because it wasn't a very healthy situation. We'd been on again, off again, and like we just couldn't seem to break up. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to just... Because he was supposed to fly out there and meet me out there. And I was going to... 
<laughs> this is really bad, but I was thinking about break either I was going to break up with him when he flew out to be with my family in Bay Area, or I was going to break up with him right when we got back. And here's the problem. I found out I was pregnant the next morning. And um, Oh, bad yeah. timing. <laughs> or great timing. Timing I, exactly as it was supposed to be. <laughs> here's what's interesting about that. I went into like full-on narcissist mode. Like, how could this happen to me? Me. Like, I have this spiritual trajectory in my life. I have all these plans. And so it was really devastating. And, and he did fly out to meet me out there. And I broke the news to him. And I have to tread really carefully here because... I have never wanted Wendy to feel like she was a mistake because just like I said, this whole like cascade of experiences was just like mess after mess after mess. At the very moment that I found out I was carrying her and, and I, I pretty much knew it was a girl. Like I just knew it the whole time. I felt like I could, that she was sacred, period. Like bar none, no matter what. And so his reaction to my pregnancy was like a stark contrast from what I felt like I was carrying this beautiful, perfect little life. So earlier that day, we'd been on the Golden Gate Bridge and he's like, we should get married and like you're everything that I've been waiting for. And then within three hours, he told me he never loved me. He wanted me to get an abortion. Maybe we could just try to live together and see if it could work and so on. And everything that came out of his mouth was just insulting. It was just like, he didn't want to be with me. He wasn't ready to be a father again because he had a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And I really just collapsed. And actually there was a time where this is all happening behind the scenes. My family knew something was wrong with me, but they didn't quite know what, because it's my sister's wedding and everyone was like, why is Sheree not so happy? And at one point when he kind of got more insistent that I get an abortion, I literally slapped him across the face. And I've never done that to another human being in my life. And he jumped up and screamed the most horrible things at me. And so I was just like, how can we bring a baby into this? What's really interesting, though, is he after he had some time to calm down and when we were flying back to Utah, he said, well, we should probably just get married. I'm like, is that a proposal? <laughs> so remember, I'm 24. He's 28. I was almost 25. And we were like, okay, hey, we're two adults, you know? Yeah, this is just, you know, we like each other. We don't hate each other. We're really like always fighting. <laughs> but, you know, this is what you do. And he's actually adopted. That's kind of the other twist to the story is that he was adopted and his adoptive mother was super abusive to him. And he ended up getting sent away when he was a teenager to Utah from California. That's how he ended up in Utah. He got sent away to this, like, I don't even know, boy's home. He had been into drugs and all kinds of things. So his, his adoptive parents just sent him away. He never really had much of a relationship with them past the, the age of 14 or 15. So it was a huge wound in his life, especially with his mother. And this is some work that I've had to do. Like I could not take personally what was happening because I represented to him a mother figure. And he had told me, that many times. Like I was stable. I was this, I was emotionally available and all these things he couldn't be. And he blamed her, but yeah, he couldn't let go of me because anyway. So when we got back to Utah, we told everyone we were getting married. <laughs> I actually quit my job working where we were and I got my own apartment. And probably within two weeks of that, I would, there was a time where I was like trying on wedding dresses because we were going to go to Vegas and which was not my dream wedding, I will have you know. And I remember I was looking in a mirror 
train on this dress. And the spirit said, if you marry him, it will be the worst mistake of your life. And I was just, that's all I needed. Like, uh, it was like a divine message. It was just like, yeah, no. So I broke up with him. I moved into my own apartment and we were back and forth for a while. He was really, really hard to let go of because I was carrying his child. And also like, we just had this weird dynamic of like triggering each other's issues and then coming back wounded to each other and going, will you please validate me as an individual? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. No, those are hard spaces to get out of. No question about totally. it. Totally. And that was it. And so I wasn't entertaining adoption. I was going to be the statistic. You know, I knew that I'd be 25 and a half by the time I had her. And I didn't know it was a girl officially yet, but I knew in my heart it was a girl. And I felt her presence on many occasions. Many. And looking back now, I was at that time, I was like, I think this is her talking to me. Like, I think this is her here. Maybe it's just the spirit. Maybe it's just God, you know. But looking back, definitely she was there. Sorry. It was like I was not feeling ashamed anymore. And when I decided that I was going to be that single mom, I had one year of school left. It was just like shoved everyone away, my family, everybody. And I'm like, I can do this by myself. And then one day my shell cracked, (laughs) my tough exterior cracked a little bit. And it was, I have to also say it was a super shameful time because I got disfellowship from the church, even though my heart was in a really pure space with trying to do the right thing and Mm -hmm. be the right person. I was everywhere I turned, I was feeling shame everywhere, everywhere I wanted to feel loved and accepted and everything. I was just, I mean, getting trashed everywhere. My family, church, my friends, Dave, everybody. So I had to really, really pray (laughs) to feel like I wasn't majorly screwing up my life. And it wasn't until someone talked to me about adoption that all the walls came down. Like, I don't have to do this by myself. I don't have to be so strong-willed and independent. Like, I can make something of this that is God's will and not just my own sheer determination to make something happen here. So did you feel it was God's will that she go up for adoption? Oh, yeah. It was her will. And it was our path. And giving up is a real trigger word. I have to say, giving your baby away, giving your baby up. Those are kind of taboo phrases. (laughs) Because really, really what you're, as a birth mom, you make a plan. And it's very thoughtful. And it's very heart-wrenching. And it is the absolute opposite of giving a baby away because you're giving this baby a very packaged life that you get to control, like you have stewardship over what happens. And I realized that not every birth mom got to have that. I was like one of the first wave open adoptions that the agency I worked with that they had ever. And even in most adoption agencies in the US, I mean, 25 years ago, which is strange because Wendy's the same age. She's turning the same age that, well, she's actually the same age now that I was when I was pregnant with her. So back then it was like open adoption was a new thing. It was a, people were testing it out. I knew it was God's will. And as soon as I surrendered to that, which was at about three months pregnant, things fell right into place. I mean, I was being held. I was shown which agency. I was shown which parents. 
then I found out it was a girl. And, and I remember being in the ultrasound at 16 weeks or whatever. And she's like, do you want to know the sex? I'm like, it's a girl. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> but everything just fell right into my lap. Doesn't mean it was easy. It makes it feel very fateful, doesn't it? Like when you said earlier that there was a contract that all three of you had this contract ahead of time to a soul contract that it would work out this way. And I also just want to say that it seems really beautiful hearing the story of how diligently you sought for direction and listened and, you know, even being able to hear and feel what your baby wanted and feeling guided by the spirit and having, you know, all of this, finding your way down this path from a really intuitive and spiritual place. That's quite lovely, Sheree. Well, thank you. I think one of the misconceptions or the stereotype or the projection is that girls who choose not to parent their baby traditionally, because I have parented Wendy, and we will talk about that, but it's been very untraditionally. And it's been more of a, as she referenced, sister to sister, best friend, or older aunt or something. It hasn't been traditional parenting. But I just this this year, I tell people now I have six kids, not five, because she counts. (laughs) And it's been like, I don't even know next year. Like even back then, I'm like, I didn't know it was going to be this open. I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea if I would even see her again. How could you know? You know, it's your first time down this path. You're just trying to find your way. Yeah. So everything's been surrender, surrender, surrender. When you place a baby for adoption, you keep placing that baby. I don't care how open your adoption is. You continue to place that baby, quote unquote baby, (laughs) that soul on the altar over and over and over and over and over again. Because you're not the traditional mother. You are a figure in that person's life who gave that person's life. But there's no manual out there that I know of that takes you, that's why, (laughs) that takes you step by step on what this is supposed to be. So we, I just, I leave it in the courts of God and Wendy, because now she's at this age where she's her own sovereign being. She's left the nest. She's married. She's a mother. There was a time where I would go to see her when she was younger, you know, I would be invited over and I would leave sobbing and that would happen years for years. And I'm not there now, but it's still a hard thing. Like, what's my place here? (laughs) And I just know it's just love. It's just, it's the path of love. And that's all that it needs to be, really. Isn't that always the long answer for your question? (laughs) That's great. And love seems to always be the answer. You know, if you're ever stuck in a place and you're trying to figure out what is the answer, it's a pretty safe path if you always revert back to love. Yeah, I'll jump in, Shuri, and say, I think with adoption, when people ask me about it or I talk about it, they want it to be... I think that's why people are so curious because it's not traditional and they want it to be like a manual. Like, how does this work? How does this... You know what I mean? And you just... You can't... It's almost impossible to really explain that. Do you know what I mean? People are always so curious to me about my relationship with you and then my relationship with my adoptive mother. And it really is, like you said, I mean, there's no manual on how it's supposed to be. We make it how it's supposed to be. So, Wendy, what are your first memories of knowing that you were adopted and actually understanding it? And what was that from your perspective? 
this is going to be so boring, but like none, because I always knew like <laughs> it, I, people always ask me that. And I'm like, um, I, I wish I could have this great moment of aha, but it had been open my entire life versus my older sister who was actually closed. And so that was kind of a different dynamic with her. But I mean, I just always knew. I mean, I saw Sheree on Christmas and all the... Like whenever we were passing through, we moved a ton growing up. So wherever we were, she would come to us or we would go to her. I always knew her children. I would go and stay with them for weekends at a time. Do you think that was hard on your adoptive mother? Yes, very. I do. And now that I'm older, she will tell me, oh, when you did this and this... For instance, I went... Sheree lived in New Zealand. What was that, Sheree? Like three or four years ago? Yeah, about three years ago. Mm -hmm. And Sheree's like, do you want to go to New Zealand? I'm like, well, heck yeah, I want to go to New Zealand. She's like, well, check your email. And there was a ticket to New Zealand in there, which was amazing. (laughs) And I'm like, well, my husband's like, you got to go, 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 go. I'm like, I am on my way. So (laughs) I went to New Zealand for a while and I just hung out with her and her family And my mother had told my husband, like, that was really just a hard time for her too. So even now that I'm an adult and married, and I do things very much my own path, my own way, I know there is some things that are still hard for my adoptive mother to deal with. I want to give accolades to her because she's the entire reason I placed Wendy. There was something about her... Well, she's not the entire reason. I mean, Wendy chose we all with God, everything. But I mean, like, I was so comfortable with her. And I met her before I even knew Wendy was a girl. I met her and chose them. And I just knew. But her smile, her warmth, she was very open. She was very curious, so compassionate. And I'm an adoptive mom now, too. So I know what it's like to be on the other end of, like, trust, Mm -hmm. trusting that and she had that so I had a c-section with Wendy and so I was in the hospital with her for like four or five days before I placed her before I let anyone else in our circle except my own mother and my mother was just beside herself it was so hard for her it was her first granddaughter and she was more sensitive to me and how I was feeling but I remember when I was ready to check out of the hospital, you know, I had written Wendy this letter, put it in the scrapbook and everybody was crying. The nurses, the adoption representatives, the attorney, everybody was crying. You could feel this beautiful spirit there. And, and I remember the adoption lady coming in saying, okay, Alan and Susan, Wendy's parents, they're literally falling apart out there in the waiting room. And what was so interesting is that had Wendy right there in the bed beside or no, I was holding her. And Susan came, and this is the first time I'd seen her since I had Wendy. She came into the hospital room and she went straight for me. She didn't even look at Wendy. And I was like, yeah, that's why I chose her because she's that kind of a person where she was not after just getting a baby. It was like, she loved me. She still loves me a lot. (laughs) I feel that from her every time I see her. You know, she must, because as I hear the things that she would sacrifice, you know, regularly, holidays, everything to let somebody else come into that super special spot and a child's heart, that's actually a fair deal of self-sacrifice. Yeah. And she was always like, 
always encouraging it to be more and more and more open, which shocked me. Like she called me Wendy's first day of kindergarten. She wanted me to be at Wendy's baptisms. She wanted all these things. And they came to my wedding. And what's interesting is that I remember her saying, I I recently told Wendy this, but I remember Susan saying to me, you know, and this is when Wendy was like a little girl. She's like, you know, I don't know why, but I just really feel like someday you're going to be able to share with her and teach her things that I can't. And I want you guys to stay connected. Wow. And look at how selfless that is too, because she's totally thinking of Wendy. So I think about Susan a lot now that I'm an adoptive mom and I have a six and a four-year-old who are adopted with different birth moms. I'm like, I want to be like Susan when I grow up. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It sounds like it. So, Cherie, you said, quote, the divine is always leading you to the paths of your highest growth, which are often the most difficult. I used to judge girls in my same situation, and now I only feel compassion. I guess I'd most want to share that whatever we're going through in relationships or whatever is in perfect divine order for our progression and evolution, even and especially the mistakes. No matter who you are and what you've done or where you've been, there is hope and healing, unquote. Do you want to tell us a little about that? Yeah, I just don't want to be that person ever that judges someone. I don't care what they do. And it's one of my goals in life. And I know it's why I experienced what I did at the age that I did. Because I used to point my fingers and I used to be calling that out. And I used to look at mistakes a very different way than I look at them now. So I'm grateful that I got to have something so profound happen to me like that. Because I didn't know, and and to learn sacrifice, to learn to put yourself second for a higher plan. That's the real test that I went through. Yeah. And what a path that is. What a path. And you can't really walk that path without listening, you know, without listening and feeling your way through, or at least not as successfully. And it sounds like... I haven't mastered it yet. (laughs) I don't think... I haven't mastered it yet. So, Wendy, what do you feel is your, I don't know, what what are your biggest takeaways? And because like you said, you don't know any different. This is always how your life's been. You've felt like you had two moms or a mom and an aunt or, you know, but what do you notice that is different about your life than other lives? And what's the experience like for you? Yeah, I always would tell people growing up, I'm like, if there was a poster child for like a good adoption, I would be it, you know, but... As I get older, as I have my own children, uh, how do I explain this? There's definitely some primal wounds that I don't think I ever realized as a child or growing up that I am able to see now. So I think I always looked at it with rose-colored glasses. I never thought anything of it because that was my normal. Like I said, my mom was so good about it, so open about it. And she still is so open about it. So it was never like oh, you want to see Cherie? She was never, ever nasty like that or territorial or jealous. If she was, she kept it to herself. So like I said, I never really had to deal with that aspect of the adoption. So Wendy, you mentioned that there were wounds involved from this experience. Can you expound on that a little bit? What were your wounds? And here's where I tread lightly because genetics run so strong, so strong. And that's not something I really realized until I was an adult and I had a harder and I'm still having a hard time connecting to my adoptive father and my mom in some ways. 
nothing I really cared about growing up because I was 13 and I was 14 and I was into boys and best friends and it wasn't something I had to think about. And then once you have your own kids, I mean, Sheree knows this, this past probably year, I have been on like the craziest journey emotionally, mentally, and spiritually figuring things out in my life. And I've been in therapy for about a year now. And that's when all of this came up. And it was things I didn't even know I had an issue with that kind of stems from, you know, not being genetically related to my adoptive family. Can you give me some examples? Oh, this is so hard because I don't ever want to like, okay, I will say my parents are older. So them trying to understand me was always so difficult growing up because we were a part of such different generations. My father, specifically my adoptive father, Alan, he has uh, biological children from his first marriage. I don't know if we mentioned that. And they are very much like him. And so I'm not. I don't like to do certain activities that my dad likes to do. And you know, there have been comments made about how, how do I say this? How I'm not his DNA, you know, and it shows. So that as an adult has been hard for me because I have children and I'm like, oh, whatever you're into, I'll be into. I don't care if you want to do ballet and join the circus. Like (laughs) mom will be there right with you, honey, you know? And that for me has been hard as an adult because I can look back throughout my life and just kind of feel second best to his biological children in a lot of ways. Can I just insert here for a second? So absolutely valid. And I can totally see and understand that. I also think that there are a lot of people who have those types of relationships with their fathers and even some with their mothers where you just don't necessarily have things in common or you have an aloof parent that, you know, and it it really got nothing to do with DNA. It's just got to do with the messiness of human relationships and finding your way through it but when he makes it about the dna yeah you know that's a whole for instance my mother she's so great she susan she's never ever said anything like that but i just think her being from an older generation always was really hard and still is so hard for me because i will say things that whether it's like politically or religious wise that because of being raised how she was raised who she was raised by and what generation I feel like such a disappointment to her in Mm. some regards because we can't agree, you know, and that's hard. And my sister, even she's adopted. I just have one other sister, three years older than me. She's adopted. And obviously we have our own set of issues too. And so sometimes like the other day I was telling my husband last month, I was like, sometimes I just don't feel like I have, sorry, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm 35 weeks pregnant. So I get an excuse, Sheree. You don't have an excuse. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to feel like I'm belonging, you know, because so many people will be like, oh, my sister's my best friend. My mom's my best friend, this and that. And I'm like, oh gosh, like I have never had that experience before. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I have a sister and we're not best friends. And I don't, I, right. I know. It's personalities <laughs> is so much of it. Right. <laughs> well, my dad's kicked me out for my political views before. It's, <laughs> it's and he's, just and families. He's, and I share DNA. <laughs> so, yeah. And also it's pretty apparent with Wendy and I, we, it's interesting. We kind of share like a parallel existence. <laughs> it's literally the most bizarre thing. Yeah. Like I go through hard times the same time she does, but I'm like, 25 years older, but Susan's 15 years older than I am, I think, or at least. 
and Susan could have technically been my mom. I mean, that like she would have been a teen parent, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I am not as conservative as they are. I have really strong values, very strong values. It's just like Wendy said, it's just a different, we're very different the way that we see life. But it wasn't until this year, like we would have even had this conversation at all. You know, I quoted you earlier about the divine is always leading you to the paths of your highest growth, which are often the most difficult. So in some way or another, these challenging parts of it are still part of that growth, that path of highest growth, if you believe that. I have learned so much, so much. Like I said this past year, it's insane that I know whatever I'm learning, I'm learning for a reason. And I have so much faith in a higher being and a higher purpose Mm. that is leading me to walk this path. I have told Cherie before, like whatever I'm going through and whatever I have dealt with, I am clearing that for my baby boys Mm. because I don't ever want them to have to deal with certain things that I have dealt with. So I'm not going to go around it. I'm going to go right through it. And that's what I have done with so many different aspects of therapy and meditation and supplements and yoga. And I am just plowing through all that quote unquote garbage, you know, because I really want it better for my boys. I love that. And Cherie is a perfect comrade to <laughs> to help you yes. on that path. We go through our garbage together on the daily, huh, Cherie? Yeah. And it's kind of like talking to myself. It's the craziest thing. I feel like this with my daughter, Savannah, too. When There's only two years between Wendy and Noah, mine and Jeff's first child. And then two years later, Savannah, two years later, Sawyer. So like all four of my biological children are like me. Like they just look beneath their surface. They challenge the status quo. They're very aware and very conscious. And I didn't raise Wendy. Like this is her. This is her being. Which is so unlike my adoptive family. Like when I say things, they're like, well, you don't think of it like that, Wendy. And I'm like, no, you do. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that really is so different. I'm so different. But, from the, but her feistiness, Wendy's fight, you know, she knows like she's feisty like me. And her birth father is very feisty too. It's almost like a spiritual rogue renegade. Like, I'm going to figure this out. Don't get anyone get in my way. I will not throw Dave under the bus in terms of who he is because I know who he is. Otherwise, I would never dated him. He has so many gifts. He just had a very, very hard life and he couldn't connect to people in the way that he wanted to. Who knows? Someday he and Wendy could have a great relationship. I hope they do. Have they ever met? He's held her a lot when she was a baby. (laughs) I reached out. I think I've chosen to kind of close that off. There was an email exchange. You sent him your wedding announcement. Uh Uh-huh. I think my Susan, she kind of encouraged it. As a tree, they were like, well, just give him kind of like this update. Obviously, don't come to the wedding reception because how awkward it would have that been for you, Sheree. I but, <laughs> would have had a PTSD moment. <laughs> but he did email me back something to the effect of, when, if it feels good for you, if it feels right for you, I would love to meet you sometime. I've never emailed back or responded to him in any way. 
Mm, okay. As we close up here, and there, you know, there's so much more your your lives, the things that you experienced. I know, Cherie, that you did a ton of research on birth mother grief as part of your process of dealing with the adoption of Wendy. So it really could go on. We could have a really, really long talk. But with the time that we've got, I'd like to give you each just a moment to share what your final thoughts are, what you've learned or what you've experienced that feels really important, what you would like to say to the audience. Let's start with Sheree. I think my message is always just no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you are loved. If you learned something, it wasn't a mistake. And I definitely learned and still learn (laughs) through this experience. This was like, there's kind of a spiritual catchphrase, Abrahamic test. Placing Wendy was my lifetime Abrahamic test. I don't think that I will ever go through anything harder, ever, including my sister's suicide and all the things I've been through. There's nothing more foreign to a woman's being than giving her baby to another mother. I can't think of anything personally that is more foreign to my being than doing that. So it's taught me that really we're here to learn to love, to learn to lift up the whole planet and to use our gifts. And if we have to sacrifice what is closest to us to do that in the name of God, I hope we all do that. I hope we all have the courage to take that step. I'm grateful for a creator who sees the whole plan. I also am grateful that I can stay connected to Wendy because like I said, I did not know when I placed her, when they drove off with her as a five-day-old infant, I didn't, for all I knew, like I may never have seen her again. And that's what made it so much richer to go through that and descend into that grief, which was such a catatonic level grief for me that now coming on the other side of this, having, you know, now I've adopted children. I have real strong relationships with my kids, birth moms, but just being able to embrace my own self as that part of my past and not shame myself and to tell people, yeah, I've got six kids. I've got the Brady Bunch, dang it. Mm. I've got three boys and three girls. Just like Um, you wanted. Just like I wanted. And very untraditionally. (laughs) Isn't that Um, fascinating the way it always works out different than we think it will? I mean, from a story standpoint, it's brilliant. So Wendy is definitely flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. We get each other. I love her. I honor her in her journey in whatever way I can show up to support her path. That's where I'll be always. And I think that we are just connected like that as souls. And so that's what I would say is it's never too late. If you answer the call of your heart, you cannot go wrong. You have a beautiful story. Thank you. Wise words. She's so eloquent at speaking. And then I'm going to get on here and be like, word throw up. (laughs) Okay, Wendy, it's your turn to word throw up. Obviously, that's true. said, we talk about all the time that we both firmly believe that everything in this life is just about love.
truly to me, nothing else matters. And I have figured that out. Definitely. I feel so lucky. How lucky am I? I have so many people around me that truly loved me and I was so wanted. I was never a mistake. Think of all the, you know, I was so wanted. Yeah. And that's just a really positive part about my adoption is I have so many resources. Mental illness is so strong on obviously my tree side as well as Dave's side. That's something I have really struggled with and having the resources of Shuri and her family has been so great having a closed adoption how scary and hard you know that would have been in fact I was actually hospitalized a week after I had my first son in a psychiatric unit and I remember Sheree visiting me a while after and she was like oh yeah I went just as crazy as you or something like that like (laughs) I remember this too and at the time it was just like oh okay you know she made it look at Sheree she did it I'm going to do this so I feel so lucky to have an amazing adoptive family who really cherishes me as well as Shree and her family who really cherish me. Yeah, that is wonderful. I'm glad that you recognize that because it does feel like you're wrapped in, you know, not that the road is easy, not that there aren't ups and downs and stumbles and stuff, but that you are wrapped in love. For sure. Well, ladies, thank you so much for sharing your stories and your thoughts and your insights. I think it's hard to say, you know, what would you tell somebody else in your situation? Because you guys really do have a a very unique situation. I haven't heard of another adoption that was quite as open as that, where, you know, everybody's really coming from this place of big hearts. But it definitely sounds like for you guys that by far the best thing, because, you know, your point about understanding the genetics and the mental illness from your birth parents, how much does that help you to understand that instead of just wondering like, what's going on with me? You know, why is this so hard? Am I a freak of nature? What, you know what I mean? And (laughs) it was, it was so scary because I even told, especially since Susan, my adoptive mom, she's never had children physically. Mm. And so to have to go to that place of those intense emotions you have after you deliver a baby. It was really great to have Shree mm. being able to, you know, make that okay for me and understand that because you're that's such a hard time, you know, in a woman's life. Well, these are big stories, big, big stories. And there's so much more to them because we're dealing with birth, which like you say, all it's a very physical and a very emotional and a very mental space. And then we're dealing with, like Cherie put it, having one mother give her child to another mother, how difficult that would be. And yet adoption is really so prevalent in our communities as you know, even going to other countries and adopting. I mean, it, it really is a topic that many, many people deal with. And it's a fear response. People have a fear response around it. And I've always just wanted to create healing around it. It's very, very painful for all of the people in the triad. So the adoption triad, traditionally that they talk about is the adoptee, the birth mother, and the adoptive mother. Usually the father's out of the triad a little bit. He's one step, he's one place removed because he's not the mother figure. With all three of those in the triad, they're all in pain, they're all afraid, and they have their own wounds around the adoption experience itself. But what it really triggers, I think I've come, and maybe we could just end with this, like, I don't know. I think that it is such a primal, and Wendy brought up the word primal wound, we are all displaced from our real parents. We are all spiritually homesick. We want our mom, 
and we want our dad. We want home. And so that's what adoption triggers for people. For me, it was like, I just got the most beautiful. Like I felt like I was wearing the scarlet letter. I felt shunned for my community. I felt abandoned by the birth father. My family didn't know what to do with me. My friends didn't know what to do with me. And here I am holding this baby who loves me. And like, this is the first exposure I've had to something so amazing. And I have to say goodbye to it. Oh, I can't even imagine. And that is so foreign, but you know what? Like that was a metaphor for how our parents feel when we come to earth. On that note, I want to thank you ladies for being here and wish you all of the most fabulous things ahead for your continued relationship and your path as you find your way down it. Your divine Absolutely. path. Yay. It's going good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This is our first interview on adoption, and I am so pleased to be able to do a both sides of the story approach. I've been wanting to do that also. So thank you, Cherie and Wendy, for shining a light on your process of learning, growth, and experience. It is by our stories that we shine a light on the path in front of others and how to move forward in spaces that they personally have not yet trod, but that we have Wendy and Cherie's contact information will be in the show notes on www.loveyourstorypodcast.com if you wish to contact either of them. As you know, my motto is to live intentionally and fearless every day. I'm going to quote Henry David Thoreau. I went into the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. My new book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, is available on Amazon or there's a link for it on the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com. And this book has the 21 Life Connection Challenges to help you create more connection, possibility, and self-care in your own wonderful story to help you live on purpose, the life story that you want to create. Thank you to Katie Lee from episode 131 for letting us use her music in this episode. We use the song here. Her music is available on Noise Trade if you want to look her up and download any of her work. Thank you for being here. We'll see you in a couple weeks.